because most of the frontiers uh, in the British Empire where massacres took place were massacres of what we call hunter-gatherer peoples and to kill six or so of such people in one operation makes a very big impact on the survival of those people. Usually they are in groups of between 12 and 20 people. To kill six or more in one operation makes a very big impact very quickly and it makes them vulnerable to disease. They often are losing the opportunity to find food and shelter. So six people is considered uh, a very, has a very big impact. G'day guys and welcome to Aussie English. My objective here is to teach you guys the English spoken down under. So whether you want to speak like a fair dinkum Aussie, or you just want to understand what the flippin' hell we're on about when we're having a yarn, you've come to the right place. So sit back, grab a cuppa, and enjoy Aussie English. Hey guys, what is going on? Welcome to this episode of the Aussie English Podcast. I hope you guys are having a great week. I hope you're having a great day. So, today that intro scene was from a video that I stumbled upon that I found on YouTube when researching today's Aussie English fact, which is going to cover the frontier wars in Australia. This video was with Professor Lyndall Ryan, who is from the University of Newcastle, at least at the time of recording this video. You can check the entire video out on the YouTube channel for the University of Newcastle. Guys, go check it out. It's really interesting and it's worth a look. The link will be in the transcript. All right, guys. So, welcome to this episode of Aussie English. This is the Aussie English podcast, the number one podcast for anyone and everyone wanting to learn Australian English. So, whether you're coming down under to work, to travel, to live, whatever, this is a great podcast to learn Australian English. And it is also designed for English learners in general to advance their English as quickly as possible. Remember, guys, if you want access to the transcripts and the downloads for these episodes, go to the Aussie English podcast.com and you can sign up for the price of a coffee per month and you'll get unlimited access to all of these podcast episode downloads. And if you would like to advance your English even faster and get access to courses that cover these expression episodes in more detail and you'll get things like a dialogue video with a natural English conversation, you'll get a vocab breakdown, you'll get quizzes, listening comprehension quizzes. And that's just for this expression episode. There's also more than 50 other courses in there for pronunciation, for speaking, for listening, for understanding accents, you can go to theaussieenglishclassroom.com. And remember, guys, at the moment, it is just $1 for your first 30 days. That is a crazy deal. It is a very long period of time and you will not find anything like that anywhere else on the internet, a single dollar for 30 days, unlimited access to all of my English courses. Anyway, I'm sorry for the spiel, guys, but that's what keeps the podcast running. I really appreciate your patience. So, today, let's get into it. The expression is, wear your heart on your sleeve, to wear your heart on your sleeve. This is a good one, and we'll get into what it means in a sec, but first, let's go through the Aussie English joke. So, I was thinking, okay, wear your heart on your sleeve. What do I need to find a joke about? 
hearts. Okay, I'll try and find a heart joke. So, here's the joke. And as usual, it's it's terribly bad. Okay, it's horrible. My grandfather has the heart of a lion. And he also has a lifetime ban from the zoo. Uh, do you get it? So, we use the expression to have the heart of a lion to describe someone as being very courageous. Maybe you've seen this when you watch Game of Thrones, right? And they talk about the Lannisters being lions, right? They're very courageous. They have the hearts of lions. So, the joke here, my grandfather has the heart of a lion. Initially, you're thinking that's an expression. Oh, okay. He's very courageous. He's very brave. He's an amazing person, right? He has the heart of a lion. But then the follow-up sentence is, and he has a lifetime ban from the zoo, which suggests that he broke into a zoo and stole the heart of an actual lion, right? That's the joke, all right? (laughs) That's the- ah, it's horrible. So, today's expression is wear your heart on your sleeve. And this comes from Akon, who has been battling it out with all of the other members in the Aussie English classroom recently. He's been suggesting his expressions and unfortunately, he kept losing. He kept losing to the other guys who were winning. And this week, though, he did win. So, well done, Akon. It's a good expression. So, let's go through and define the words in the expression to wear your heart on your sleeve. To wear your heart on your sleeve. So, the first one's obvious, okay? To wear something. At the moment, I am wearing a jumper. I'm wearing socks. I'm wearing pants. I'm wearing underwear. So, to wear something is to have something, a piece of clothing on your body, right? It could be that you're wearing clothing itself. It could be something you're wearing as a decoration, you know, maybe a badge, maybe a special hat, I don't know, or it could be protection. You could wear a bulletproof vest, for example, if you're a police officer. A heart. A heart. Now, this one's a good one. A heart is also a shape, right? So, it can be the shape of, you know, a love heart, where that's a difficult shape to describe, but- yeah. I don't even know I'm going to try. But a heart is also the organ in a chest, right? The thing inside your chest, inside your rib cage that pumps the blood around your body that goes ba-boom-ba-boom-ba-boom-ba-boom-ba-boom-ba-boom, right? That's your heart. It pumps. And if it stops pumping, you tend to die from having a heart attack. The last one is a sleeve. Now, you might not know this word. A sleeve is the part of a garment um, that covers your arm, right? So, at the moment- Can you hear that? I'm wearing a sleeve on my arm, on both arms, from my jumper, right? So, if I wear a singlet, a singlet is a t-shirt that has no sleeves, right? And a t-shirt has very short sleeves, whereas a skivvy, as we call them in English, has a very long sleeve. It's like a t-shirt with a sleeve all the way down to your wrist. And the jumper I'm wearing has two long sleeves on it as well, because uh, it's keeping me warm, as today is really cold. Even though last week we had a massive, massive heat wave, today is only 13 degrees. It's insane. Last week it was 39. All right. So, the expression definition, guys, to wear your heart on your sleeve. If you wear your heart on your sleeve, this is that you make your feelings very apparent, right? You show your feelings openly for everyone to see, for all the world to see. So, you might cry a lot in public. You might 
be frustrated a lot in public. You might be upset a lot. You know, it's it's that you don't hide your emotions. And this often, this expression is often used to describe men, right? Because we have a reputation for hiding our emotions and or at least a little more than women. There are plenty of women who hide their emotions too, but there are plenty of women who also show their emotions more easily, more readily than men. So, to wear your heart on your sleeve is to be much more open with your feelings, right? And it's usually it's usually sensitive kind of feelings, you know, being honest, being vulnerable, crying, that kind of stuff, as opposed to being angry or outraged. So, where did this expression originate from, to wear your heart on your sleeve? This was a very cool one. I looked this up and it originates from Shakespeare. So, it's likely that the phrase, wear your heart on your sleeve, comes from medieval jousts. That is where two people are on horses with long spears and they have to sort of charge each other and try and push each other off each other's horses with their jousting sticks. I guess you'd call them, I don't know, jousting sticks? <laughs> and sleeve, in this case, referred to a piece of armour that covered and protected the arm that was holding the jousting stick or the long pointed spear. And knights would often wear a lady's token around their sleeve of armour, right? So, the maybe the woman that they had feelings for or wanted to represent when they were fighting, they would take a token, maybe a handkerchief or some clothing, and they would tie that around their, their sleeve on their armour. Okay, so, they were wearing their heart, the person they love, on their sleeve. But this expression originates from Shakespeare's play, Othello, spoken by Iago. And he is saying that to show his feelings would be like wearing his heart on his sleeve where birds could peck at it. And this is the exact section from where this comes, okay, out of the play Othello. Were I the more, I would not be Iago. In following him, I follow but myself. Heaven is my judge, not I for love and duty, but seeming for my peculiar end. For when my outward action doth demonstrate the native act and figure of my heart, in complement extern, tis not long after, but I will wear my heart upon my sleeve, for doors to peck at, I am not what I am. Uh, so, that's really difficult for even me to understand because Shakespeare spoke, he spoke Middle English, uh, which was a bit different from modern English, but he also used weird language. He also used things like doth and, you know, just weird phrasing. So, don't be upset if you don't understand that easily. All right. So, let's go through some examples of how I would use the expression to wear your heart on your sleeve. So, example number one, imagine that you are Swiss tennis player Roger Federer. He's always a great example for someone who's very emotive. He is very expressive when it comes to his feelings. So, he's a great guy who always wears his heart on his sleeve. Every time you see him on TV and he has won, you know, the Australian Open or some Grand Slam, he tends to break down in tears of joy and happiness as a result of, you know, being successful. So, he's incredibly genuine. He's very open and honest about his feelings. He shows his emotions openly and is a great example of someone who wears their heart on their sleeve. Good on you, Roger. Number two, imagine you're a tough bloke and you work in some really difficult labouring job, you know, on an oil rig or in the mines somewhere in Australia. You do a lot of physical labour, you're a big burly dude with a big beard, a lot of muscles, a lot of tattoos. So, you're the last person in the world that people ever expect to see crying openly in public. 
However, imagine that this guy, this big burly tough guy, is having his first child. So, he's with his wife in hospital. She's just given birth to a beautiful baby girl. He gets to hold this girl for the very first time. And despite the usual tough Aussie bloke facade that he has, that he wears as a bit of a mask, he might break down in tears of joy when he first lays eyes on his daughter. So, for the first time in his life, he might be wearing his heart on his sleeve and freely and openly expressing his emotions. So, when his daughter was born, he wore his heart on his sleeve. Example number three. Imagine that you are a woman married to a man. You're, you're you and your husband, right? And you have an old dog and the dog is getting really sick. He's got some kind of disease or cancer or, you know, kidney failure. And you have to take him to the vet to have him put down, to have him euthanized, right? That's where the, the vet will inject a lethal injection and the, the pet can pass away peacefully. So, it's an upsetting event, obviously, because you both love your dog and you've had him a very long time, you know, maybe 15 or 16 years. But, you know, this is the best way for him to to go because he's sick and he's old and the prospect of dying with cancer is a painful one. So, your husband's a bit of a softy, right? He shows his emotions openly. And when you go to the vet with your dog, he breaks down in tears at the prospect, at the idea of losing his best friend. So, your husband's a bit of a softy and he wears his heart on his sleeve. He openly shows his emotions. All right. So, good job, guys. Hopefully, now you understand the expression to wear your heart on your sleeve. It just means to be open with your feelings, to freely show your emotions, right? And to be a bit of a softy, to cry in public. So, as usual, let's go through a little listen and repeat exercise, guys. This is your chance to practice your pronunciation. As I always say, if you're working on an Aussie accent, try and copy my pronunciation exactly as I say these words. Focus on connected speech, on intonation. If you are just trying to perfect your own English accent, if that's British English, South African English, New Zealand English, US English, whatever it is, use that accent, guys, and focus more on my intonation and rhythm instead of my pronunciation. Okay, let's go. Two. To wear. To wear your. To wear your heart. To wear your heart on. To wear your heart on your. To wear your heart on your sleeve. 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 I wear my heart on my sleeve. You wear your heart on your sleeve. He wears his heart on his sleeve. She wears her heart on her sleeve.
We wear our hearts on our sleeves. They wear their hearts on their sleeves. It wears its heart on its sleeve. Good job, guys. Good job. Now, remember, if you want to improve your pronunciation, make sure that you sign up to the Aussie English Classroom. There are dozens of exercises, dozens of breakdown videos of these exercises in these expression episodes. And there are also four different spoken English courses where you can work on pronunciation, on contractions, on rhythm, on intonation, everything like that. So, if you want to nail your Aussie English pronunciation and speaking abilities and sound much more like a native speaker, make sure that you go to the Aussie English classroom, sign up, And you will be able to get unlimited access to all of those courses. All right, before we finish up today, guys, the Aussie English fact for the day. So, today I want to talk to you about the Australian Frontier Wars. I wonder if you guys have heard about this in Australian history. And it's been in the news a little bit recently, which is what made me think about talking about it. So, As part of the colonization process, there were numerous small-scale conflicts between colonists and the indigenous population in Australia, both Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. Since the 1970s, though, researchers have been looking deeper and deeper into this conflict, which is now referred to as the Australian Frontier Wars. In Queensland, The killing of Aboriginal people was largely perpetrated by civilian hunting parties and the native police, who were made up of armed groups of Aboriginal men who were recruited at gunpoint and led by colonialists to eliminate any Aboriginal resistance. There's evidence that massacres of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, which commenced with the arrival of British colonists in Australia, continued until as recently as the 1930s. Researchers at the University of Newcastle have begun mapping the massacres and so far they've discovered almost 500 locations where massacres took place in Australia during these times, with a recorded 12,361 Aboriginal people and 204 colonists being killed. Those numbers don't really seem very even, huh? Accurately estimating the total number of deaths during the Australian Frontier Wars, though, is very difficult in large part due to the lack of records and the fact that many massacres of Indigenous Australians weren't documented and they were kept secret. A commonly quoted death toll of the Frontier Wars is about 20,000 Australian Aboriginals and 2,000 colonists. However, Recent research has indicated that a minimum of 65,000 Aboriginal people may have been killed in Queensland alone, so just in Queensland. And further difficulties are added to estimating the true number of deaths due to whether or not the deaths of Aboriginal people, particularly in Tasmania, as well as the forcible removal of children from Aboriginal communities, constitutes genocide and should also be included or not. Many place names in Australia mark places of frontier massacres, for example, Murdering Gully in Newcastle, and place names also reveal discrimination, such as Mount Jim Crow 
in Rockhampton, Queensland, as well as racist policies like Brisbane's boundary streets, which were used to indicate boundaries that Aboriginal people weren't permitted to cross during certain hours of the day. As you would expect, there's ongoing debate about changing the names of many of these places. So, from the year 1810, Aboriginal people were forcibly moved onto mission stations that were run by churches and the state. Although these places provided food and shelter for these people, the purpose was not altruistic, but was to instead, quote, civilise Aboriginal communities by instructing them in Western values. Following this period of protectionist policies that aimed to segregate and control Aboriginal populations, in 1937, the Commonwealth Government decided to start implementing assimilation policies. These policies were aimed at integrating Aboriginals who were, quote, not of full blood into the white community in an effort to eliminate the, quote, Aboriginal problem. As a result of these policies, there was an increase in the number of children who were forcibly removed from their families and homes and placed with white people, either in institutions or foster homes. And these children would later become known as the Stolen Generation. During this period, many Aboriginal people were victims of slavery by colonists, along with Pacific Islanders who were kidnapped from their homes. And between the years of 1860 and 1970, under the guise of protectionist policies, people, including children as young as 12, were forced to work on properties where they worked under horrific conditions for which the majority never received payment. In the Australian pearling industry, for example, Aboriginal people were purchased for about five pounds, with pregnant Aboriginal women, quote, prized because their lungs were believed to have greater air capacity. So, they were thought to be able to dive for pearls for longer. Aboriginal prisoners in the Aboriginal-only prison on Rottnest Island, many of whom were there on trumped-up charges, were placed in chains and forced to work. In the year 1971, 373 Aboriginal men were found buried in unmarked graves on the island. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander resistance has always existed towards the arrival of colonists up to now. In 1938, over a hundred Aboriginal people protested one of the first Australia Day celebrations by gathering for an Aborigines conference in Sydney and marking the day as the day of protest and mourning. In 1963, the Yungo people of Yekala in Arnhem Land sent two bark petitions to the Australian government to protest the granting of mining rights on their lands. The Yerkala Bark petitions were traditional Aboriginal documents to be recognised under Commonwealth law. On Australia Day in 1972, 34 years after the first day of protest and mourning, Indigenous activists set up an Aboriginal tent embassy on the lawn of Old Parliament House in Canberra to protest the state of Aboriginal Australian land rights. The tent embassy was given heritage status in 1995, and this year it will celebrate its 47th anniversary, making it the longest unanswered protest camp in the world. So, hopefully that's given you a bit of insight into the Australian frontier wars and the plight of the Australian and Torres Strait Islanders in Australia through history. I hope you enjoy this episode, guys. I hope you have a great weekend and I'll chat to you soon. Peace out. 
G'day, mate. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Aussie English Podcast. If you wish to support the podcast and help me keep bringing you content, you can do so via my Patreon page. Remember, it's my mission here at Aussie English not only to help you understand Australian English, but to speak it like a native. If that's your goal, make sure you enroll in the Aussie English Classroom, guys, where you'll get all the bonus content for today's episode designed to improve your English even faster. Have a ripper of a day and I'll see you in class. Bye-bye.